We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Hey there, folks. You're listening to the New York Giants episode of the 2018 Team Preview Series, a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. My name is Neil Dutton. You can follow me on Twitter, at ndutton13. And our guest for this show is Ryan Dunleavy. He's the Giants beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media. We'll talk about the new regime in charge of the Giants, what can be expected from Eli Manning and co. in 2018, and just how different the offense will look in the new season. After the interview, we'll take a few minutes to think about what Ryan has said. Then we'll take a look at the recent form of Eli and the Giants offense using some of our apps at Rotaviz. For those of you who don't know, Rotaviz is a sports data and analytics site that publishes over a thousand articles per year and has a suite of more than 20 proprietary apps. Go to rotaviz.com to check out the site and now let's bring on Ryan Dunleavy. Joining me now to talk about the New York Giants, it's Ryan Dunleavy. You can follow him on Twitter at RYDunleavy. He's the Giants beat writer for NJ Advanced Media. Ryan, thanks very much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. Anytime. Okay, we'll jump straight into it. Obviously, it's been an off-season of change for the Giants. Um, Totally new look to the front office and the coaching staff. What vibes are you detecting about how different things are going to be from what they were last season and the, the years before? I think the number one thing is I think order is restored. And 
At this time last year, I don't think anybody realized it, but the Giants are obviously in for an embarrassing season, both on and off the field. Um, so I think the vibe is that it's back to the Giants' way. Now, I don't know if that means they're going to win a fifth Super Bowl this year. I think that just means that they've always kind of prided themselves on being a you know, uh, controversy-free franchise or uh, do to, you know have, have a way of doing things. Uh, and, you know, if they win, they win. If they lose, they don't. If they, you know, if they lose, they lose. But, you know, just a certain way of carrying themselves that got, they got away from last year. And I think that really angered ownership and led to a lot of the changes that we saw uh, and some of the changes that we didn't see, like Eli Manning. Well, you mentioned Eli. We may as well go straight into it. Obviously, there was speculation during the draft that the Giants might use the second overall pick on one of the uh, top-tier young quarterbacks coming out. Uh, instead, they elected to spend the pick on Saquon Barkley instead. Is there a feeling then within the team that Eli can still perform at a high level, that the last couple of years have just been blips? Or is it pretty much a case of, well, he's got to be now because the team didn't uh, invest high enough in a replacement or competition? Yeah, I think that... Uh, the, I think the bottom line is the Giants w- made it clear in... January that he was going to be the guy for this season. They there was no doubt in their minds that he had enough left. So I think since January it's been pretty clear that Eli was going to be the starting quarterback for this year. The question that when they were bot- flirting with quarterbacks before the draft, that was all about how many years does Eli have left? He has one more year on his contract after this season. Uh, so. Is he going to play that out? I mean, there's a salary cap figure there that, you know, he could be used, you know, if the, if the Giants really struggled again, could the, could they cut him the way, you know, maybe the – or ship him elsewhere the way we've seen Brett Favre or Peyton Manning finish their careers other, way, other places? I mean, I guess that's possible. But as soon as the Giants went with Saquon Barkley, then it was clear that, you know, this is a win-now kind of team. They are trying very much to go as quickly as they went from 11 wins in 2016 to three wins in 2017. They're believing they can get right back to 11 wins. And anybody you ask about Eli Manning says, you know, that whenever he's back into a corner in his career, whether it's, you know, 2011 when people said he wasn't elite or 2014 when he threw 27 interceptions, uh, he's bounced back pretty strong from his bad years. So we'll see if he can do that at 37, but he's got a lot of believers in that building that thinks he can. Obviously, the last couple of years have been somewhat disappointing on offense for the Giants. Um, they've been 23rd and 26th in yards per play the last two seasons. Do you see, I mean, obviously there's going to be changes, um, you would assume, with the new head coach, um, Pat Shermer. What do you see as being a seismic shift of offense from what was essentially a passing team to a more run-heavy unit? Yeah, I like the word you use, seismic. I might steal that in one of my upcoming <laughs> stories because I think that that I think that's exactly what it is. Um, I think they were a team that wanted to, you know, get in line with the you know new age of football and you know no huddle and uh, three wide receivers and. Um, you know, throw the ball all over the field and use the use the short pass as their run under Ben McAdoo. And, you know, part of that was McAdoo's philosophy, and part of that was it would help a weak offensive line and a running back 
that weren't really addressed for a couple years. And that is not who Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer are at all. They are both old, uh, old school minded people. They both believe, you know, in kind of a ground and pound offense and ball control and, um, and winning the battle up front on the line of scrimmage and uh, having a you know steady backs of rota- you know steady uh, fresh backs. So they, I think that's why they invested so much in Saquon Barkley, who got the second highest guaranteed contract ever given to a running back before he's ever taken a snap in the NFL. Um, so I think that's a seismic shift. I think the Giants are going to be a too wide too tight end or too wide a tight end and a fullback kind of offense this year instead of so heavily reliant on three wide in the pass. So when you talk about uh, the Giants wide receivers, one name obviously comes to mind before all else. That's Odell Beckham. Obviously he missed huge chunk of uh, the season uh, last year. He previously said that he might he may not set foot on the field without a deal. Do you think that's still the case? And also, you know, how's he along in his recovery from injury? And can he be the player he was maybe two years ago in this offense? Yeah, he see, he never. It's 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 crazy, right? He never said that he wouldn't step field, foot on the field without a deal. That was reported from sources and you know people close to him and whatnot. And that might have been his thinking at one point. But the few things Beckham has said since he was injured last year, and they are very few things is that he is wants to get the contract situation over with. It's not over with. He wants, he doesn't believe, he wasn't going to hold out. And in the past, he has said that he doesn't believe in holdouts. He doesn't think they work. So I think it was trending towards that he wasn't going to hold out. And then reports are today that he isn't going to hold out. He will be there on Wednesday when training camp opens. So I think that's good news for the Giants. But, I was talking with Tiki Barber recently, and he made a good point to me, which is, what is no holdout? So he's going to be there. In other words, the Giants can't find him for not being there. But does that mean he's going to jump right into the huddle and take 11-on-11 practice reps and get tackled? Or does that mean he's going to ride the exercise bike in the corner and you know send a message like, oh, you know what, my ankle's not feeling so well today. And, you know, use the ankle as a crutch, so to speak, to get a point across that if you want to see me out on the field, you know, putting my body at risk, then you got to pay me. And I think that could be the direction we're headed. But for the most part, Beckham's been a really good soldier for the Giants these last couple months. He's done what he, you know, he's shown up to voluntary practices and at a time where guys like Earl Thomas are, you know, requesting trades or holding out. Uh, Beckham has gone the play nice route, so uh, will he be rewarded for that? I don't know, uh, but just because he's showing up doesn't mean he'll actually quote-unquote step foot on the field, but uh, he's the kind of kid who really he just wants to play football, so I think it's going to be really hard to keep him off the practice field if he's there. I think that he really, really wants to get back to it. I think he's missed it. I think you could tell that in his workouts. I think you could tell he's feeling 100% healthy. So I think it'll be worth monitoring. It'll be a day-to-day thing, I think, with Odell. I think some days he'll practice, some days he won't, but he'll be there. One of the players who did step up in Beckham's absence last year, certainly in the passing game, was uh, Evan Ingram. An almost historic season for a rookie in terms of receptions and receiving yards. I think only 
Jeremy Shockey actually had more as a rookie in the NFL since the year 2000. So obviously quite exalted company. One knock that Ingram has carried with him um, probably since he was at Ole Miss and certainly in the first season is that he's not the best blocker. Do you see the fact that you know that the Giants are going to be more the tight ends are going to have to be part of the ground game? Is that going to be a knock on him or can he take the next step to become one of the best tight ends in the game, do you think? That's a really good question. I think Evan Ingram's receiving abilities will always be better than Evan Ingram's blocking abilities. And that's not a knock on his blocking abilities. He's a very good receiver, and there are plenty of tight ends who most of the tight ends that regular fans know are better receivers than they are blockers because otherwise you wouldn't be on their fantasy teams. So um, so there's nothing wrong with being a better receiver than there is blocker. The guys who can do both are the Hall of Fame type guys. Um, that said, Evan Ingram hates this discussion. If you ask Evan Ingram this question right now, he'd, he'd be red in the face. He hates the idea that he's a receiver in, the tight, in a tight end position. Uh, it's motivated him to work very hard on his blocking. Um, one, I think, interesting thing about it is the Giants have seven tight ends on their roster right now. So, could they use Evan Ingram as kind of a sometimes an inline tight end, sometimes a split out third receiver, uh, and use one of their other tight ends that they're going to carry on the 53 man roster as the true blocking tight end? I think they could. I think there's a lot of things they can do with Evan Ingram, uh, but I don't think he'll ever become a receiver. I think he's going to, you know, he was a rookie last year and he was, uh, you know, probably needed to bulk up a little bit in the offseason to really handle the blocking load on a NFL tight end, but I think that's one area where he'll work really hard to improve, and he's already a matchup nightmare. That's I think that's harder to teach than blocking. So obviously um, the other person that we've only really touched on, but this new offense is going to be ground-based. It Pretty much the linchpin would seem to be Saquon Barkley. We already talked that he's already breaking the bank, and he's never actually played a snap. The Giants' offensive line has been an issue. Um, I think we'll be polite for a couple of years. Is Barkley, in your opinion, is he a good enough player that he can transcend the difficulties of an average line? Or do you think that he could really he may struggle this season given the lack of star power on the Giants' offensive line? It's a good question, too, because I don't know that anybody's really good enough to transcend what was a bad offensive line. Uh, an average offensive line, yeah, and that, that's probably what the Giants have. Uh, last year, for most of the season, as the injuries mounted, they played with a bad offensive line. Um, so they added Nate Solder, they added Patrick Omame, they added Will Hernandez. They could. They moved Derek Flowers from left tackle to right tackle. There's a chance when the Giants start the season, they won't have a single player starting in the same position they started in last year, like for the Giants. It's, it's, so in that regard, I think that the Barkley will benefit from having a better offensive line than Orlean Darkwa had last year or Wayne Gallman had last year. Um, and I think he, but Barkley's value also can be seen in his receptions out of the backfield. I mean, he's not just a, you know, 20 carry back. I think he'll also get receptions, which, which will make him more productive. But Really, like you said, it's going to come down to the offensive line. It's going to come down to, can they block? Are they better? Are these guys huge upgrades? Because they're huge upgrades over the guys that finished last season, 
but are they huge upgrades over Justin Pugh or Weston Richburg or some of the guys that the Giants let go of who other teams obviously saw, you know, 40 plus million dollars worth of value in. So to me, I think that's the big thing is are the Giants just upgrading over the terrible line they had at the end of last year or over the, you know, maybe average to slightly below average they had line they had at the start of last year? Uh, moving away to the other side of the ball, obviously when we talk about the Giants wanting to go back to almost Giants-era football, one thing that's always associated with those teams is a great defence. Um, last year the Giants went from 2nd in points allowed and 10th in yards allowed, all the way down to 27th and 31st. How likely do you think um, that this unit can bounce back, given that there's a new defensive coordinator and he's probably, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably going to be a different system to what they're used to, the players are used to? It certainly will be a different system. They're going to run a 3-4 instead of a 4-3 front. They're going to blitz much more often if James Betcher is true to what he's done in his career. Um, they've got some new personnel. It'll be a probably three, four new starters in the front seven compared to last year. No more Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, so a lot more youth. B.J. Hill, Lorenzo Cardor will play a lot, both for draft picks this year. Traded for Alec Ogletree at middle linebacker. Um, so I think the front seven will have a new look. I don't know if they're going to be able to get enough pressure on the quarterback. That's where Betcher comes in. He's a blitzer by nature. He's going to need to be a blitzer because I think he's going to have to get some pressure from some non-traditional spots. You know, maybe send a corner here or there, send Landon Collins on a safety blitz here or there because I don't know that the Giants have enough in their front seven, uh, especially if Olivier Vernon was to miss any serious time to uh, get enough of a pass rush without blitzing. And you mentioned the name there, uh, Landon Collins. He's probably, you know, the defensive star of the team. Is there any sign of his contract situation being addressed or is his going to be a case similar to Beckham, come in, be a good soldier, and it'll be got to when it's got to? I See, Collins is an interesting case, and I'm glad you asked me about it because no one really talks about it. And I think it's crazy because the Giants can't franchise tag both Beckham and Collins. So, one of them is either going to be a free agent or get a huge contract. So um, the bets, obviously, are Beckham's going to get taken care of first. Collins, like a, like a good teammate, said he understands why. Beckham's been in the league a year longer, so he should get taken care of first. Um, I think Collins' contract is probably a little easier to do, and it's probably the right time to do it because the safety market for free agents this offseason was really low. So maybe you try to take advantage of that and get Collins cheaper than you could. Maybe try to get him for $10 million instead of $12 million a year. Um, but he's a phenomenal player. He's uh, probably got captain written on him if he stays with the Giants at some point. Um, just a good fit for what the Giants are trying to do as far as a safety who's always around the ball and can you know blitz if they need him to. His 2016 season was, you know, one of the best in uh, history for a team that takes a lot of pride in their defense. So uh, I think that Collins, there hasn't been any talk, at least publicly, of his contract. He appears well in a way, but man, is he underpaid at like one point something million per year. Uh, and co- coming off of what's, inter- what's interesting, too, is Beckham's coming off the ankle injury. 
and Collins is coming off two forearm surgeries. So neither one of them was healthy going into their contract year, which is a little bit uh, probably uh, cause for the delay. Um, so we've talked about the changes on offense, the changes on defense. With all that, and obviously the changes in the front office and on the sideline, with all that in place, what do you think a reasonably successful season for the Giants looks like? If I was a Giants fan, and now look, I mean, the, anybody you ask, you're going to tell you, you know, William Gay, I asked that question to. Jonathan Stewart, I asked that question to. They said they wouldn't have come here if they didn't think the Giants could com- couldn't compete for a Super Bowl. They're two veterans trying to win a ring. That's why they came here. That's nice. That's what you're supposed to say if you're a player. I think if you're a fan, realistically speaking, I think this is an 8-8 eight eight team. You know, maybe one goes the other way, you're 7-9. and nine. One goes the other way, you're 9-7. Uh, the schedule is very, very difficult, especially early in the season. Um, and the <clears throat> division has the Super Bowl champions in it. I think the Eagles are clearly the best team in the NFC East. They've done a great job building their team, locking up guys. Uh, their quarterback situation is, you know, anybody would be envious of. So I think the Eagles are definitely the best team. So now if the Giants are the second-best team in the division, which I think they are. I think they're better than the Cowboys. I think they're better than the Redskins. That's nice, but that doesn't necessarily get you in the playoffs. And there's three teams in the NFC South, three teams in the NFC West, probably two teams in the NFC North that are, you know, real serious threats to, you know, win 10 games. So I don't – I think the Giants are probably an 8-8 team, which is no man's land in the NFL. You're not drafting high and you're not in the playoffs. But I think that's where they are, and that's a five-win improvement over last season. If that's you know, uh, if that's what anybody is willing to look for as sign of success. Well, Ryan, it's been great talking to you. Thanks very much for your time. Um, it's, I say you can follow him on Twitter at rydunleavy. Ryan, once again, thanks very much. Yep, thanks for having me on. Call me anytime. That was Ryan Dunleavy, Giants Beat reporter for NJ Advance Media. When we return, we'll take a few minutes to consider some of the things Ryan and I talked about. As you know, the NFL season is quickly approaching. Get ready for it with the subscriptions where Rotovis NFL Pass, which you can get right now for 30% off. This discount is for listeners of the podcast only, and it's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools, and best of all, it supports the pod. Again, be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL pass at rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. Welcome back to the New York Giants episode of the 2018 Team Preview Series, special edition of Rotaviz Radio. We just finished speaking with Ryan Dunleavy. He's the Giants beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media. The Giants are a fascinating team to look at going into the 2018 season. Obviously an awful lot of change, um, as Ryan and I talked about, changing most of the key positions, certainly off the field. A new general manager in Dave Gettleman, um, who's from, he is cut from the Giants cloth. He was a long-time executive with the Giants before he went to Carolina, where he was a general manager. So if anyone knows, as Ryan and I talked about, the Giants' way, you'd think it would be Dave Gettleman. They've brought in their new head coach, Pat Shermer. He was offensive coordinator of most of the last two seasons with the Vikings. Had great success with quarterbacks. 
Um, to quarterbacks of differing skill sets as well. Sam Bradford in his first year there, and of course Case Keenum this year got you know very very efficient play out of Keenum more so than any other time in his career. Whole new change of philosophy from pretty much you can see from the way they've addressed uh, free agency in the draft. They brought in Jonathan Stewart, um, Nate Solder. They drafted Saquon Barkley. They are very very run. Uh, they are built to run the ball. You would assume that's what they're going to do this season just by the way they've built the team. And the Giants, as a team, have just not been committed to the ground game at all in the last few years. So pretty much the whole Ben McAdoo era. In the last two years, they're 27th in the NFL in rush attempts, uh, 790 total. 2,960 rush yards, that's 31st. So only the Detroit Lions have less or fewer rushing yards than the Giants the last two years. And they've averaged 3.7 yards per carry at 29th. Obviously, they're going to come in and hope Saquon Barkley can address this, you know, this omission. But, you know, they've been a very one-dimensional offence. They're going to hope Barkley can come in and change that. When we spoke um, to Ryan, we really focused on the passing game, because ultimately, fancy points-wise, you know, you can say what you like, an awful lot of it still, still does come from the passing and from the pass catches. And we touched on, um, you know, mainly Evan Ingram, Odell Beckham, and Eli Manning. I do. I think it's just the fact that the Giants had such a bad season in 2017 that the form and performance of Evan Ingram hasn't quite got the publicity and the acknowledgements that it's that it is actually worth because. We talked, you know, we talk and talk about how difficult it is for rookies to make an impact in the NFL, especially at the tight end position, where basically they're learning two positions at once. And from from the dawn of the twenty first century, Evan Ingram was just—it's phenomenal. If we use the one of the greatest apps we have at Rotoviz, um, Rotoviz the Rotoviz Screener app, you can put in a whole lot of qualifying criteria to find um, number of results. So I looked in. On the Rotoviz screen, I looked from the year 2000 up to 2017, focused on tight ends, and I wanted to look at tight ends in their first year. So I wanted to look at their targets, receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and also their PPR points. So you put that in, and then you can set, find similar seasons. So you look at a player, the player I wanted to look at was Evan Ingram, similar players, and it came up with these. Evan Ingram had 115 targets, 64 receptions, 722 yards, 6 receiving touchdowns and 173.6 PPR points as a rookie. His comparable players since 2000 are, say, Jeremy Shockey, who I mentioned with Ryan. In the 2002 season, Shockey had 127 targets, 74 receptions, 894 yards, 2 touchdowns and 175.4 PPR points. So he's within two points of Jeremy Shockey for the best rookie season of the century. You have to go a long way back in terms of PPR points and yards, targets, receptions to find the next player off the rank. And that's John Carlson back in 2008. Now, John Carlson had a good rookie season but didn't do an awful lot else. Then you've got 2010, the two New England Patriots rookies, namely Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski. But they only combined, uh, say combined, they had 64 targets for Hernandez, 59 for Gronkowski, 45 receptions, 42 receptions. 563 yards with six touchdowns for Hernandez, 546 uh, receiving yards and 10 touchdowns for Rob Gronkowski. 
Now, we know how good Rob Gronkowski has been in his career. We know how good a player Aaron Hernandez was in the brief time he was in the NFL. So Evan Ingram really, really put himself in some very, very exalted company as a rookie. Can he push on? Well, we'd hope, you know, you'd hope so. From a fancy football point of view, we saw that Odell Beckham was the pinnacle of the passing attack and has been for a few years, obviously. But the man after him has struggled. Evan Ingram looked like he could step up as the next man. You just worry how much volume is going to be in this passing attack and whether they can prop up an Odell Beckham, an Evan Ingram and a Sterling Shepard. Speaking of Odell Beckham... There's no doubt that he's been one of the most dynamic playmakers in the NFL since he came in in 2014. But as productive as he has been pretty much over his career, there is a distinct difference in in terms of his production. And that is based on the offense under Eli Manning as we look at the diminishing returns of Eli Manning in his NFL career in the late stages. If you look, again, another app we have at Rotoviz, it's the AYA app, which is the adjusted yards per attempt. They can look at and see a quarterback, how many yard, how many adjusted yards per attempt they average targeting specific receivers. But you can also look at players who have been the targets themselves. So if we have a look for the 2014 and 15 seasons, Eli Manning targeted Odell Beckham 288 times at an AYA of 10.53. That's that's absolutely tremendous. You know, 10.53 yards per attempt when he targeted Beckham in those first two seasons. However, in six, 2016 and 17, obviously these are injury-interrupted seasons for Beckham. He didn't play all. I think he only played four games in 2017. We see that he's had 210 targets. So in a season and a quarter, there's only about 70, 70 nearly 80 targets difference so we see that already Beckham was being force-fed the ball, but the AYA goes down to 8.54 yards. So it's dropped by virtually two whole yards. Now, is this Odell Beckham's fault? Well, no, I don't think it is, because Beckham was being force-fed. So the ball was just going at, going to him and going to him. So obviously he he did the best he could, but he wasn't having the chance to go downfield. It was a shorter um, average depth of target. So it suffered now again, Beckham is expected to bounce back. We've seen when he gets the ball in his hand, he's one of the best playmakers in the NFL. He's a little bit of a weirdo, we could say. You know, he has his antics. You know, we all remember the on-again, off-again relationship with the kicking net. But there's no doubt that he's a player that most offenses will be thrilled to have on the field. But the Giants, they just look like they're not quite ready to go out and break the bank to keep him. And you you can look at this and say, oh, well, the numbers are down. Well, the numbers are down, but I don't think that's Odell Beckham's fault. So we come to the real crux of it, and that's Eli Manning. Now, Ben McAdoo, you can say what you like about him as a head coach, and believe me, most of us have. He was getting a, he was trying to get by on a quarterback who looked as if he was broken and really, really wasn't going to get any better. He wasn't moving the offense, so he benched him, and it cost him his job. But if we have a look... Uh, we have the Game Splits app on Rotovis as well. This is another fantastic app where you can look at a whole number of scenarios and you can split uh, by you know opposition, by players, by years. You can look at how a player performs in games where another player was played. So what I did, I've had a look at Eli Manning from 2009 to 2017. Why 2009, you ask? Well, that's when he got his first 
big money contract. So that's when he essentially became entrenched as a franchise quarterback. He'd already won a Super Bowl by then, I know, but the money talked. So we go from 2009 to 2017, and the split I have done, I have split off the 2016 and 17 seasons. So what we find is, from 2009 to 2015, Eli Manning played 112 games. In those 112 games, he averaged 35.2 pass attempts. He completed 21.6. He averaged 1.75 touchdowns per game, 1.12 interceptions per game, 263 passing yards per game, and an average, uh, sorry, a passing yards per attempt of 7.57, and he averaged 20.09 PPR points per game. So if you look at this, if you know over the, of all those figures over a full season, the full season pace, you'd see him averaging 4,222 passing yards, 28 touchdowns, 18 interceptions, 320 PPR points. Not bad, not terrible, but especially when you consider how pass-happy you are. I mean, 35 pass attempts per game in that span. You look in the last two seasons, however, the pass attempts have gone up to 37 a game, the pass completions have gone up to 23.5 per game, the interception rate has gone down, so you know, congratulations there, Eli. The touchdown rate has dropped from 1.75 to 1.45. The yards per attempt is down from 7.57 to 6.39. The passing yards per game is down to 241.5, and his PPR points is down to 17.72. So again, we have a look. Projected pace over a full season, 3,865 yards, 23 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, 284 PPR points. And I say, this isn't, a, this isn't a blip, this is a trend, this is two seasons worth of form, of performance going the wrong way. Now, this is to say, we've seen this team, they're going to want to try and tool up and be stronger on the offensive line, try and run the ball better, and that's going to be to try and protect Eli because if they try and put the offense back on Eli's shoulders, I don't think he can. I don't think he can do it. And if he can't do it, he drags down Odell Beckham, which makes makes him risky. Even if he drops to the second round of some fancy draft, which on paper he shouldn't, because it's Odell Beckham, he makes Evan Ingram risky. It's you know it looks like the only person you could probably trust in this offense would be Saquon Barkley, and that's just out of pure volume. So as I say, fantastic apps at Rotoviz that we can get this data. Um, the Giants are a fascinating team, a team in transition, and you know we, they've seen big changes this off season. But there's a real chance that we'll probably see even bigger change next off season as well. Well, that's going to do it for the New York Giants episode of the 2018 Road of His Radio Team Preview Series. Big thanks again to Ryan Dunleavy of NJ Advanced Media. I'm Neil Dutton. You can follow me on Twitter at ndutton13. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Team Preview Series. Our assistant executive producer is Colin Kelly, and our executive producer is Matthew Friedman. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotavizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. 
This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub, drink, and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub, drink, and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub, salad, or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community.